fundamentals are important. So take, for example, a sports team. Now, you can have really talented players. You can have smart coaches who scheme up the best game plan and plays. You can have the most talented players. And yet, if your team is lacking in the fundamentals of the game, they can still go out and struggle to be successful. And I imagine all of the Baltimore Ravens fans here are saying that is so absolutely true. So in the case of football, you have things like tackling well, being disciplined and not getting a lot of penalties. That sounds familiar. Protecting the football and not turning it over, also important. Making sure that you complete your assignment on a play and you don't just freelance. These are all foundational pieces for building a successful team and having success on the field. The Ravens forgot about all of this last week. Now, as much as I sympathize with all of the Ravens fans in here, you need to remember that it could be far worse and you could be Cowboys fans, (laughs) right? Because we know for sure that Cowboys wouldn't know fundamentals if they were staring them directly in the face. And I'm a Cowboys fan, right? So fully admitting it. See, it's unfortunate for the Ravens fans in here. The Ravens did their best Cowboys impersonation last week where you just completely fall flat on your face in the playoffs. You forget how to play football. So anyway, sometimes you just need to get back to the fundamentals. You have to get back to your roots because those things are the building blocks for success. Now, because of this, I'm really excited for today's sermon because that is exactly what we are going to do today. We are going to get back to our roots as a Pentecostal church as we have arrived at Acts chapter 2 where the baptism of the Holy Spirit is poured out. So let me give a quick history lesson here. All right, we've had plenty of math lessons in here. So if you don't like math, but you like history, maybe this is more up your alley. The Assemblies of God, the church that we belong to, this denomination was birthed out of a Pentecostal Holy Spirit outpouring that took place in the early 1900s. Now, the main impetus for this was the Azusa Street Revival that took place in Los Angeles, California, beginning around 1906 which was preceded by the Welsh Revival that began in 1904. Now, these were both incredible Holy Spirit outpourings that have affected the very course of history for hundreds of millions of people. And before it's all said and done, these movements and what came from these revivals will affect billions of people. Now, the Welsh Revival that started in 1904 saw such great outpouring of the Holy Spirit with so many people being saved that the horses and the donkeys in the coal mines had to be retrained because they only understood bad language and the coal miners were getting saved in such droves. You saw in Wales that bars were shutting down in mass because they had no patrons and judges often had no cases on the docket to preside over because crime dropped so radically. The Azusa Street Revival, it followed not long after with incredible testimonies of salvation and God's presence. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, which sadly had been put on the back burner in the church for centuries, took a prominent role similar to what was seen in the Welsh Revival. And there were incredible testimonies of what happened at the Azusa Street Revival with God's power being poured out, mass healings, things like people's limbs growing back. 
There are all sorts of incredible signs and wonders, including accounts where people looked at the building where they were meeting, and it appeared as if it was on fire, but it actually wasn't. It was simply the fire of the Holy Spirit. Now, these outpourings were the seeds of many Pentecostal movements. Amongst them in 1914 was the birth of the Assemblies of God, who from the very beginning, and may we never lose sight of this, from the very beginning had the advancement of God's kingdom in mind, and they stated from the beginning, we commit ourselves and the movement to him, to God, for the greatest evangelism that this world has ever seen. And the Assemblies of God have indeed become one of the greatest movements for spreading the good news of Christ that history has ever witnessed. Now, I don't bring this up to say that the Assemblies of God is perfect or that the Assemblies of God is better than any other denomination, but rather to simply call out that we were birthed out of Holy Spirit outpouring. We were birthed out of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It is in our roots And we must always keep it in front of us. We must never allow ourselves to become Pentecostal in name only and not in the power of God moving in and through us and through the church. It doesn't do much good to be called Pentecostal if you're not seeing the Holy Spirit move. So we must be a people who are hungry for and press in to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and for a fresh outpouring. Because as we saw in verse 8 of Acts chapter 1, it is this power that is needed to fulfill Christ's command to be his very witnesses to advance his kingdom to the end of the earth. So Pentecostal power through the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not an add-on or a nice extra. It is core to the gospel message of the kingdom and its advancement in the world. And so we're going back to our fundamentals today. We are going to look at our roots, the outpouring of the Spirit, because we as Bethel have our end of the earth, this community and this region that we are to reach with Christ's kingdom, and he has promised to pour out the power of the Holy Spirit and will empower any who are willing to press into it. So if you have your Bibles, can you go ahead and get them open to Acts chapter 2? Now, the challenge with this type of sermon is that I have people that are sitting here today who may be sitting there right now going, oh my goodness, I have grown up in a Pentecostal church my whole life. I have heard so many sermons on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Do I really need to hear this again? And yet in the same room right now, you may also have newer believers or perhaps people who did not grow up in a Pentecostal or charismatic tradition And this teaching may be brand new to them. And so I can tell you, I really struggled with this about how deep I needed to go into this. I was back and forth on how much I needed to teach on this. And thankfully, God is good. One Wednesday evening after service, I was actually talking with Pastor Jeff over in the gym. And he said to me, yeah, a lot of people have heard this, but they need to hear it from you. And so I was like, wow, that's really good. God spoke through Pastor Jeff in such a powerful way because it settled for me that we really needed to dig into this and take some time to break it down. So I'm so thankful for Pastor Jeff. I'm so thankful for all of the amazing pastors we have here. I can tell you they are truly some of the most amazing people you could ever serve with. So whether you have heard this a thousand times or perhaps you've never heard a teaching on this, I'm believing today that there is going to be a fresh word from God from a fresh perspective for all of us. 
And I've been praying and I'm believing for it to birth a new and radical hunger in us for the outpouring of the Spirit, remembering what I have said over and over again since we started in Acts, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, is not a one-time event, but is to be a lifelong pursuit. So as we look at the word, I want you to just allow it to create a fresh hunger in you for the Holy Spirit and for God's desire to empower your life. And then I also ask you to prepare your hearts because we're going to take time at the end of the service to press in for this around the altar. So today we are going to focus in on verses 1 to 13. So let's go ahead and read those in Acts chapter 2. It says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. So last week, we saw the disciples, they were obeying Christ. They were gathered together, they were waiting, they were pressing in and believing for the promise that Christ made to them, that the promise of the Father would soon be fulfilled in the pouring out the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And here we are, the time has finally come. And so it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And so the initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit took place on the day of Pentecost. Now, Pentecost was a yearly harvest festival among the Jews that they would have celebrated throughout their lives. It was also referred to, as you will see in the Old Testament, as the Feast of Weeks. So Pentecost means 50th. It would take place the day after counting seven weeks after the first day of Passover. And so I apologize. There's another math lesson here. You have seven weeks of seven days gives you 49 days. The next day after that would be Pentecost, hence 50. So Pentecost, or the Festival of Weeks, was an annual Jewish festival. It was one of three festivals that male Jews were required to travel to Jerusalem to celebrate. And there's so much symbolism that you can see around this festival and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You could preach an entire series of sermons just on this symbolism and the fulfillment of it. But perhaps what is seen most clearly in Acts 2 is that this festival celebrated the first fruits of the wheat harvest. And we will see in just a few weeks that later in Acts 2, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit led to the first fruits of a great harvest of souls when Peter stands up to preach and it tells us that 3,000 respond and are saved. So next in this verse, it tells us that they were together in one place. 
So the 120 that we read about last week continued seeking the Lord together. And so the question is, where is this one place that they were together when this happened? Now, I know that many of us have probably been taught that they were in the upper room. How many people have been taught that? Right? That seems to be like the standard teaching that they were in the upper room together. But I would propose that the text better lends itself to another location. See, later in Acts chapter 2, we will see that Peter says that this outpouring is happening at the third hour of the day, which would be 9 a.m. And we can see from different places in the New Testament, including in Acts chapter 3, that the disciples followed the temple prayer schedule. And so at that time, there were three times of prayer at the temple, the third, sixth, sixth, and ninth hours, which would equate to approximately 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m. This most likely means that the 120 were together at the temple praying at the 9 a.m. prayer time when the Holy Spirit was poured out on them. And this would make much more sense than if this took place in an upper room, because as we read in verse 6, it says a crowd gathered around them. Now, I've seen the explanations where they say, well, it was poured out in the upper room, and then they went down into the street, and then, you know, everybody kind of gathered around. I'm not sure you fit 3,000 people into a street for Peter to be able to preach to them then. It makes much more sense, and it aligns with other evidence of the word, that this was probably happening at the temple. At the temple. Now, some people take the reference in verse 2 to a house to mean it needed to be some sort of house, but that word there can mean any type of building. So as such, I'm of the opinion that this outpouring took place publicly at the temple. This was not a private outpouring, but it was on display for all to see. And this outpouring took place suddenly. It says, suddenly, like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And so they are pressing in, they are, they're praying and they're seeking the Lord and the Holy Spirit shows up. And it says a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, meaning the source was not natural or earthly. This was not just a windy day. This is all from the Holy Spirit. And here it compares the Spirit's activity to wind. And this is not the first time you'll see this comparison used throughout Scripture. If you would go to John chapter 3, when Jesus is speaking with Nicodemus, you would see that he compares the Spirit's activity to the wind. You say, well, why is the Holy Spirit compared to wind? Well, wind itself cannot be seen with human eyes, but the effects of the wind can be seen. For example, the wind blows and you don't see the actual wind, but you do see the leaves blowing around on the ground and you see the branches of the tree bending. In a similar manner, what this is telling us is that the spirit will move and though we don't see the spirit with our physical eyes, it will have an effect on things that we can see with our physical eyes. So Holy Spirit is present and working, and though we don't see him with our eyes, we can see the outcome of his work in people's lives changed, in bodies being healed, in souls being saved, many other things, and here in his baptism, his filling of believers' lives with the supernatural power of God. Now accompanying the arrival of the Spirit were signs that the disciples could see. It says, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Now, I said it last week, the Bible is awesome, right? Is this just not really cool to read about? It's like tongues of fire. What is this all about? 
Right? Anybody that says the Bible's boring, it just means you haven't gotten into it to read it. Because when you dive into it, there are so many amazing things to see. And this is one of those just wild sort of crazy things. And they saw what appeared to be, seemed to be, tongues of fire. In other words, they see a supernatural manifestation with their physical eyes. And what they see appeared to be a tongue that was of fire. That's sort of strange, right? Anybody think that's kind of strange? I think it's kind of strange. So the question would be, why a tongue and why fire? Well, some have proposed that the tongue of fire was because of speaking in tongues that can accompany the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But I believe it was more likely because the tongue was the evidence of the purpose of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Appearing as a tongue reinforced the purpose of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that it was to empower them to do what Christ told them to do in Acts 1.8. It was power to be witnesses of who Christ is and what he has done and to speak for and on behalf of Christ. The tongue indicated that you're receiving power to be the ambassador to speak on behalf of Christ. And you say, well, why fire? Well, once again, there are many things proposed. There's enough symbolism here that you could come up with a number of sermons. But probably most important is that the fire was symbolic throughout the Old Testament with the presence of God. You see God's presence in the burning bush with Moses. You see God's presence in the pillar of fire leading the Israelites in the desert. The fire symbolized that this was Holy Spirit's presence. And for the disciples at that time, fire was also the only source of light. Electricity and light bulbs were a long ways off. And can we just thank God for electricity and light bulbs? So I will fully confess, I am not a wilderness man. If the electricity goes out, I'm like, oh no, God, help me. Probably because we have four kids and you know how that is. But that was their source of light. Fire was the source of light. So tongues of fire would represent to the disciples that God's presence through the Holy Spirit and his power to enable them to be lights to the darkness had arrived and they would be his witnesses going forth. And may I just quickly remind us this morning that light is superior to darkness in every way. Darkness can only exist in the absence of light. So if there are pockets of darkness in our world and pockets of darkness in our community, we don't blame Satan, we get out and we shine our light. We got to bring our light to every area of darkness. And so this manifestation of fire then separated and it came to rest upon every one of them, symbolizing that the Holy Spirit's presence was for everyone, for all who had accepted Christ. And they all received, meaning this was for every one of them. It's not just for a select few. It wasn't just on the apostles, it was on all of them that had gathered together. This is such an important truth for the church to grasp, that all of us are to be filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is about the church, the ecclesia, as a united body with each part doing what they have, called, have been called to do. It is the body of Christ, and it is all of us serving together, supernaturally empowered, walking in his purposes for each of our lives and for our church. That is what will advance the kingdom. That is what will advance the kingdom. And so they all received the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit upon them. And verse 4 says they were filled with the Holy Spirit 
began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. They were all filled. They all received from God. Now, in the rest of this verse, what we see in verse 4 are a couple of verbs. And what we need to be careful of is that one of them tends to get all of the attention to the detriment of the other. We see that they were filled and they began to speak in other tongues. Two verbs, filled and speak. The most important part of this verse is that they were filled. They were filled. The Holy Spirit baptism had arrived. What had been prophesied in the Old Testament hundreds of years before, what Christ had promised them had now arrived. They were receiving the power of the Spirit that would enable them to fulfill the call of Christ on their lives and the church. The exact same reason that we need to receive the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in this church. And we need to be careful here because we can get so caught up in the sign of tongues and lose focus on the true purpose and intent of being filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit. It is never about simply speaking in tongues, but being empowered for service. See, if someone is baptized in the Holy Spirit and speaks in tongues, but doesn't walk in power for witnessing and advancing God's kingdom, I would recommend they go back for another filling because they missed the purpose of the first one. It's about receiving the power of God to be, advanced, to be witnesses that advance his kingdom into this earth. This is about receiving the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's about the power of God resting on us. Now with that, let me take one quick aside that I believe is really important here. Because of the fall of man, we see that power is often seen as something desired as a means for personal gain. People want power because it gives them a sense of personal control and it gives them the ability to influence others in a way that benefits them. Right? This concept of power has been corrupted by the fall of man. That is not the purpose of Holy Spirit's power in our lives. Right? We need to be very careful of that because we're going to talk about receiving the power of God. We want to walk in the power of God, but it's not to the same purposes to which the world wants to walk in power. It's the exact opposite. We receive Holy Spirit baptism and power not for our benefit, but for the benefit of others. Remember, we've said it a number of times now that the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of me at salvation to change me, and then he comes to baptize me with power so that I can change the world around me. In other words, for the benefit of others. It is the power of God to lay down our lives for another. This is power is never given or to be received or prayed for in order to promote self, but rather to promote Christ. We don't receive power from the Holy Spirit for our benefit, but for the benefit of others and our world. So the Holy Spirit rests upon each one of them, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Notice the word began provides a strong inference that along with other scriptures means this was not to cease in their lives. Okay, so let me give you an example of this. I can say that I began a new job. That doesn't mean you go to that job one day or one time, at least hopefully not. 
but it means that I go to that job every day. I began this new job. I'm going to go to that job consistently day after day after day. So notice that it does not say that they spoke in tongues. It says they began to speak in tongues, inferring that this was to continue in their lives. It was to continue. And so you say, well, what is speaking in tongues? Well, speaking in tongues is simply a believer's mouth giving voice to a language, whether earthly or heavenly, that is not coming from their own brain and natural understanding. Speaking in tongues is a supernatural sign whereby the words come out of our mouths, not of ourselves, but through the Holy Spirit. So note, they spoke what the Holy Spirit enabled in them. Some important things we want to talk about here. They spoke, but the Holy Spirit enabled. The Holy Spirit will not take control of our lips and make the sounds come out. The enablement, what comes out, is from the Holy Spirit, but it is in cooperation with the disciples speaking it. And here's where Pentecostals and Charismatics, I believe, have at times missed one of the main purposes of tongues. It's not just about receiving tongues, but it is about cooperation with the Spirit. Cooperation with the Spirit. You say, why tongues? Well, speaking in tongues here is a sign. And the Bible in multiple places talks to signs, wonders, and miracles. They are supernatural things that God does. So God will give signs. What is the purpose of a supernatural sign from God? Well, it's not all that different from the purpose of any sign. A sign points us to a destination, right? So we have a large sign, if you're out on the main road here, a large Bethel sign that's out on the main road so that when people are looking for Bethel, they will see it and they will know that they arrived at their destination. See, the question has been asked, do we really need miraculous signs and wonders and all of those things in the church? And to that, what I would answer is try going to a city that you've never been to before And imagine there are no signs in the entire city, and you have to try to find a location you've never been to. You would be begging for signs at that point. See, signs are really good at showing the way to places we've not been before, helping us to reach a new destination. You don't need signs to get you home from church today because you know the way, but you do need them when you're somewhere new and in a place you've never been before. And my response to that is, Lord, let there be signs and wonders done at Bethel to take us places we have never been before. Signs point us to a destination. God does these miraculous things to point us to him. So here, speaking in tongues serves as a sign. So where is this sign, speaking in tongues, pointing us to? It's what I said earlier. It's pointing us to the cooperation between us and the Holy Spirit. And I believe this is one of the most powerful purposes of speaking in tongues, and yet I've never heard anyone teach on it. Tongues teaches cooperation between us and the Holy Spirit. Speaking in tongues teaches us how to partner with the Holy Spirit to do something that is supernatural. Tongues teaches us how we can partner with God to do supernatural things. Tongues are one way that we can see the supernatural power of God operating in our lives. We give the utterance and the Holy Spirit puts the sounds into our mouth. We partner with Holy Spirit for a supernatural work. 
See, this is meant to reveal to us that we can partner with Holy Spirit in the exact same way for other supernatural works. Things like words of knowledge, where the Holy Spirit puts information in our brains that we couldn't have known or gotten naturally, only supernaturally. He puts it there, and then we step out, and we use that to minister to someone. Prophecy, where the Holy Spirit puts a word of God's heart for someone into our hearts, into our minds. He gives us the word, and then we step out and we speak it. Laying hands on the sick, where the power of God comes in answer to our declaration and our act of faith. We lay hands and we pray, and the Holy Spirit comes and he heals. Supernatural wisdom for our job, where there's a problem where we couldn't solve it, and then all of a sudden we have an answer. Has anybody ever been there? I can tell you how many times, Holy Spirit, I would just be like racked at work, like, what do we do? And it's like, all right, help Holy Spirit. And then five minutes later, it's like, oh, yeah, we got this. He comes and he gives us the knowledge, and then we step out and we use it. It's courage to step out and tell someone about what Christ has done in our lives. He provides the courage. We step out and we speak the words. And there are so many more examples we can get into. But what we have to see here is in every single one of them, what we see is that there is a partnership between us and Holy Spirit where he works through us. It is the power of the Holy Spirit, but it's shown when we step out in faith and we do our part. It's a cooperation between us and Holy Spirit. In the case of speaking in tongues, it's giving voice to the words that he provides and speaking words that we don't necessarily understand. So tongues can serve as a sign and an entryway into understanding God's desire for us to partner with him, whereby we step out in the natural, and then he empowers us supernaturally. See, tongues can serve as a sign that we're being filled with the Spirit. But once again, the purpose is not to speak in tongues. It is to receive the power of God. And we must always remember that this isn't a rite of passage, it's something we seek once, but it's to be our lifelong pursuit for more of God, being filled over and over and over again. Now here, the tongues also serve as a sign to many others. It says in verse 5, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Here we see what we discussed earlier, that this was happening during a festival where Jews from all over the world would have traveled to Jerusalem. And so I believe that once again, this lends evidence that the location of all of this was probably happening at the temple as these Jews who traveled all the way to Jerusalem for the festival would have been following the temple prayer schedule. And they begin to gather because verse six and seven tells us that they heard a sound and the crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? So it says that they heard a sound. It could have been the violent wind sound, but it was also the sound of 120 people speaking in tongues. But in this case, the tongues are languages of the various people who had gathered. So here, the disciples, they speak in tongues. They do their part in the natural, and then God does a supernatural work and the words that come from their mouth are in all sorts of different languages of all those around them. Now, a question that's typically asked here is, were the disciples simply speaking in unknown tongues and then Holy Spirit translated for the hearers, 
Or were the disciples supernaturally able to speak in other languages? It's interesting because scholars have differing opinions on this. I have a strong opinion of my own. Do you want to hear it? It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. I've seen chunks of chapters this thick trying to outline one way or the other, and it's missing the entire point. The main point is that they offer themselves to God as a vessel to be used by him, and then God supernaturally does a work where they are used to speak in tongues that are either directly languages or translated by the power of the Holy Spirit to sound that way in the hearer's ears. That is what the focus should be on here, that they partnered with God. They offered themselves as vessels, and as soon as they offered themselves as vessels to God, his power came and filled the vessel, and they were used of him. And if the worship team wants to go ahead and come. It's about offering ourselves to God and allowing his power to work in and through us. Now, verses 8 to 11 that we read, they show their astonishment because they said, aren't all these people Galileans? How are they talking in all of these different languages? And what's important to note in those verses is what they were hearing was the declaration of the mighty deeds, the works, and the splendors of God. As I said earlier, the power of God operating in our lives is never to promote self, but to promote God, Christ, and his kingdom. And so now, as you would expect, it says in verse 12, Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? God got them. Oh, God got them. He set them up and they fell for it. See, this sign and this wonder opens their hearts and causes them to ask the question that God wants to answer for them. He set them up and they went right for it. He put the hook out and they took the bait. They asked the question that God wanted to answer for them. Someone once said that signs and wonders will make you wonder. Here they make the Jews present wonder, what is going on? What is happening here? Now to some of them, this was so crazy that they began to accuse them. Verse 13 says, some however made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. So some, and the inference seems to be that it's the minority, are so bewildered at what, at what is happening that they think the 120 must be drunk. See, this is not a calm and collected happening. The power of the God of the universe has shown up and it's having a powerful effect on those who are baptized in the spirit. See, I'm all for church order, but sometimes I think church order may look a little bit different to God than it does to us. And in fact, I believe there have been churches who claim they want church order, but what they really want is church control. See, there's some churches, they don't want things happening that don't make sense to them. They don't want things happening that maybe they haven't seen before. They don't want things happening that are going to cause them to be a little bit late getting to lunch. They don't want things happening that are going to require them to get out of their comfort zone. Now, I am in no way advocating nonsense. I'm not advocating people doing things in the natural. We don't have time for fake nonsense. But what I am fully advocating is openness to God showing up. And when he shows up in power, it might look a little bit different than what we expect. It might not fit in our box. It might make us a little bit nervous. It might require us to step out of our comfort zones. We might be a little bit later getting to lunch. 
Is that all right? It'll wait. I didn't get very many people agreeing with that one. I'm hungry too, but I'm telling you, that's my stomach's growling up here. When God shows up, we might have to get out of our comfort zones, but if it's God, then we should be willing to dive in with all of our hearts. I stand here once again and I say, there can be no boxes at Bethel because God will not be boxed in. And we must learn to allow the Holy Spirit to go wherever he desires to lead. And if there are any sacred cows, then we need to take those things out back and shoot them and have ourselves a nice barbecue. Because there can be no boxes that we try to place Holy Spirit in. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to come fill us and this church to overflowing. And how that happens and what that looks like, it could look different in every single season. But my personal opinion is that I'm not going to stand here and ever tell God what he can and can't do. My prayer is simple. God, come baptize with Holy Spirit fire however you want. Whatever that looks like, it doesn't matter to me as long as it's of you and we will follow you wherever you call us to go. This is God's desire for each and every one of us and for his church to receive power to do what he has called us to do. Now, next week, we will see Peter empowered by the Spirit, standing up, and he begins to answer these questions that came up in verse 12 and 13. But for today, what I want us to do is recognize that this is the fulfillment of many scriptures of the Old Testament. It is the fulfillment of the very words of Christ. It is, the, it is ushering in of a brand new day of empowerment for all of God's people that has come and throughout the rest of the church age will be available to all who seek it. Every person who's been born again should then ask God to baptize them with Holy Spirit fire. Every person who has been baptized with Holy Spirit fire should be asking God to fill them over and over and over and over and over and over again. And that's exactly what we are gonna do today. So we're gonna give an opportunity now for people to receive. You say, okay, we're gonna press in for this. Should we expect wind and tongues of fire? Well, I won't ever limit what God can and can't do, but I do believe those two things were a special sign to mark the initial arrival. And so as we go through Acts, we're gonna see this over and over again. There are other fillings and baptisms of the Holy Spirit throughout the book of Acts. Those two particular signs did not accompany them. What you do see consistently is speaking in tongues and in another instance, also prophesying under the power of the Holy Spirit. We saw here today, chapter two, the disciples are filled. They speak in tongues. In chapter eight, the Samaritans are filled and the text infers that they were speaking in tongues. In chapter 10, Cornelius and his family and his household are filled and they speak in tongues. In chapter 19, in Ephesus, they are, in, they are filled and they speak in tongues and they also prophesy. In all of these cases, either directly or indirectly, we see believers speaking in tongues as the Holy Spirit fills them. Now, the main point of this is he will empower us with a purpose. He empowers us with a purpose. He comes to fill us with power to be witnesses of him. God's desire is to fill us with power for witnessing. Tongues are simply a sign of our cooperation and our giving of ourselves to God for this in the same way that the believers in Ephesus prophesied. We say, God, here I am as a vessel, pour into me and use me. And when we do that, God will do a supernatural thing in our lives. 
Tongues are not the objective. The objective is the power and presence of God in our lives to go be witnesses. This is power for doing all that Christ has called us to do. See, speaking in tongues is awesome because it shows us that through the power of God, we are partnering with him in a supernatural work and it sets the stage so that we can partner with him in other things as well. If you're here today, you've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit. We are going to give you the opportunity to press in today. For all those who have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, this isn't time to just check out because if you've been filled, we are going to press in for fresh filling today as well, fresh fire from heaven. So first and foremost, if I could have everybody stand. This is for all. Now there is one caveat to that all. It's for all who have made Jesus the Lord of their lives. So if you've not made Christ the Lord of your life, that's the first step and it's really the only requirement. It's to make Jesus Lord of your life and then open yourself to what God wants to do. Could I actually have the ministry team come on up? going to do two things today. If you need to know Jesus, you can come up and you can talk to one of these folks. They are amazing people. They would love to lead you to that relationship with Christ. But what we're going to do is we're first going to give an opportunity for anyone who has not been baptized in the Holy Spirit to be prayed for to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then after we do that, I don't want everybody else, don't run out, don't be in such a rush today. I know it's getting a little bit later, but if you can hang on, hang on. Because we want to give opportunity for those who have never experienced this to be prayed for to receive this. And then after we do that, I would love for all of us to press in for fresh fire from heaven. Because we need God's power in each of our lives. We need God's power in this church. And so right now, if you are here today, you've not been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You've never spoken in tongues. You, you feel like you've never been filled in that way. This is your opportunity right now to come grab one of these folks and they will pray over you and pray with you to receive from heaven. The objective is not to come up here and speak in tongues. The objective is to come up here and get so radically rocked with the power of God that you can't help but be a witness of him everywhere you go this week. The purpose is that you get so filled with God's power that you were used to be timid about telling people about Christ and all of a sudden his power is on you in such a way that you say, I can't help but witness about who he is. It's power to step out in those things that God wants to do. He wants to do the miraculous through you. We're going to talk about this over and over and over again, Bethel. It's not just pastors that God wants to work through. It's the body of Christ. You are qualified if you have Jesus inside of you. In fact, you are just as qualified as any pastor, apostle, prophet, prophet evangelist, teacher. Because we all have the same spirit that lives inside of us. But he wants to empower you today. So right now, these altars are open. If you want to come up and pray to receive the Holy Spirit, you can go ahead and do that. I know there are some in here who want this. Come on. You don't need to be shy today. 
It's what I said before. This is not some sort of rite of passage or anything else. If you've not received the Spirit in this way, it is God's desire for you. Come on up and let these people pray for you. Press in this morning for what He wants. Come on, I know there's more in here today. This is nothing to be shy about. This is seeking what God desires for your life. So we're just going to go into worship now. What I would ask is hang with us. Like if you have to go, I totally understand. But if not, and you can hang for just a little bit longer, I would just encourage you to hang tight. Because in a few moments, we're all going to press in because I believe there's fresh filling for everybody today. So we're just going to worship a little bit and allow these to be ministered to. And then in a few minutes, we are all going to press in together. Just begin to worship the Lord. Prepare your hearts because I believe God wants to pour out something fresh in this room today. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at BethelAG.com or on Facebook at Bethel Assembly of God, Littlestown, Pennsylvania. Our services are also live streamed every Sunday on our YouTube channel, Bethel AG, Littlestown, Pennsylvania.